We are, like I said, in this series called Generous. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at what it means to live generously and what it means to give generously. And last week, we started looking at this, and we began to uh, look at how generosity is, is um, not just something that happens when you, you write a check or, or you, you give money to something. Generosity is actually much bigger than that. Generosity is a way of living that shapes how you handle your time. It shapes how you handle your work, your energy, your skills, your talents, and also your possessions and your money. And if you have people in your life that you consider to be generous, you know that they just kind of stand out in, in a crowd, and you know what it is that makes them stand out. Generous people stand out because they just, they love to give. They don't go through life with their fist tightly clenching onto to what they have. They, they kind of go through life with this kind of a posture. It's just, they want to give. They look, where, where, can, where can I give? And for the follower of Jesus, there's actually no other way to live. Our founder, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, is the king of generosity. The Bible says that he, he who was rich became poor. He gave it all, um, the Bible says, for us. And we're called to be generous like him. And, and when you really begin to understand just how much Christ has done for you and how generous Christ has been with you, it actually will begin to, to shape your heart and, and make you want to be generous like Jesus. I'm reading this book right now that's called Contagious Generosity. And I love the way that this book defines generosity. It says, it says this. It says, generosity is a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, all that we are, and all that we ever will become as a demonstration of God's love and a response to God's grace. It's saying, Jesus... You've been so grace-filled and loving towards me. I want to be just like you. And I think that most of us in this room this morning, if you were asked the question, um, do you want to be generous, I think most of us are going to say yes. You know, if you're given the choice, do you want to be selfish and greedy, or do you want to be generous, I think most of us are going to go, yeah, I'm kind of in this camp over here. I, I want to be generous. And yet, it's such a challenge to really begin living it out, especially when you look at the level that Jesus lived out generosity. He just was wide open with, with all that he had. And so what we're doing in the series is we're looking at how we can make the shift from being um, stingy people to being generous people. And throughout this series, we're actually kind of just hanging out in one particular spot in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And uh, this passage of Scripture is a letter that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the Corinthian church. Most of this letter is Paul giving instructions on godly living. He's giving instructions on, 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 on doctrine. But then in chapters 8 and 9 of this verse, all of a sudden he kind of switches a little bit and he lets this church know about a need that's come up. Another church, the church in Jerusalem, needs help, financial help. And so Paul encourages the church of Corinth to not hold back but instead to be generous. And in chapter 8, verse 8, he writes these words. He says, I am not commanding you. He's saying this isn't something that you have to do. It's, it's your choice. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the verse that's central in this series. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you through his poverty might become rich. Then he goes on to say, and here, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Keep, keep that phrase in your, in your head. Here's, here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Now, if you know my story at all, you know I've been going to church since I was a baby. Uh, my dad was a, or still is actually a pastor. And so I have spent a lot of time in church services, much like this one here. And over the years, I've heard many, 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 many requests for, for generosity. When I was nine, my, my dad, uh, he had planted a church, and the church that he planted had begun to grow. And so we got into the place where uh, they decided they being my dad and the church board, that it was time to, to build a building. And so they asked people to give. They asked people to give financially. They asked people to give of their time. And um, in this little logging town that we were a part of, they asked people to give of their skill. And their skill was needed because when the church board decided to build a, a, a building, they actually meant that literally. Like as in we went out into the forest and chopped down cedar trees so that we could have cedar shingles on the roof. Um, my dad went down to, I think it was Texas or something, this is when we were living up in B.C., to, to purchase a small portable sawmill. So we go out and chop down more trees and, and uh, cut them all up and, and make our own lumber. I mean, so I have memories of when I was a kid getting out for summer vacation, all ready to go play, and it's like, no, you're going, da- you're going down to the sawmill to shovel sawdust and uh, I just had some, have some bitterness over that. But anyway, that's another story. But, but by the time it was all done, we had this beautiful oceanfront church building right on the main street of town for $10,000. This was um, about 30 years ago. So even back then, I mean, $10,000 was crazy. But people responded to this ask, and they were just beyond generous. I've heard others ask from, ask from the church to pay off a massive church debt. I've heard uh, pleas from pastors for a new building, requests to raise money for missions. And I've heard all the non-financial requests. This ministry over here is short volunteers, so hey, can you come and help out and serve and give and, and all that kind of stuff. And at some point, I've made most of these asks myself. And, um, and, but here's the thing, though, about almost every single one of these requests for generosity, they almost all center around around the need. We need new buildings. We need new chairs, more volunteers, support for missions. And as I've been reading 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, something that's been just jumping out at me is how different Paul's approach is to generosity. He, he doesn't even talk about the need except to say that there is one. He doesn't write about the, the plight of, of the people in Jerusalem. They've been going, undergoing a ton of persecution. He doesn't write about how the church in Jerusalem has grown to 5,000 people and they all of a sudden they need to build a, a new building. There's nothing in there about all the great opportunities to send um, more missionaries out, even though all of these were very real needs in this church in Jerusalem that they were going to be supporting. But Paul doesn't bring them up, not even once. Now, there is nothing wrong about letting people know about a specific need. I mean, we've obviously, we've done that here this morning. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. We've done it many times here, and we'll, we'll continue to do that. But I just think it's interesting and important for us to see that what Paul is after here 
in this text, and even more importantly, what God is after is not a one-time act of generosity. God is, he's after a lifestyle of generosity. And rather than focusing in on the need of the receiver, God instead chooses to focus in on the heart of the giver. He wants to shape the hearts of his people into generous hearts. And did you notice what Paul says here? He talks about giving being a test. And then he talks about the generosity of Jesus. And then as he continues, he says, here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Interesting. I thought this letter, this this little kind of side note here is about what's best for this church in Jerusalem that has this, this need. But Paul wants to talk about how giving is actually more of a benefit for the giver than it is for the receiver. It's almost like he's been listening to Jesus who, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and I know that if, if I'm honest with myself, there's a part of me that when it comes to giving and receiving, I'm pretty sure it's a little better to be on the receiving end. I'm not going to lie, I like receiving. Just this last uh, couple weeks ago, I was out having breakfast with a friend at Cedars, and just as we were finishing up our last cup of coffee, the waitress comes over and says, hey, don't have to worry about it, your meal has been anonymously paid for. That felt pretty good. It felt pretty good to be on the receiving end. I like it when Becky makes me and her family her, 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 her famous chocolate cherry cake. I like Christmas morning. I'm like one of the kids. I'm, I, I, I do the Santa part, but I'm anxiously waiting for one of the tags that, that says rich on it. I like receiving, and I like it a lot. But think about this. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, hey, there's this church over here. They've got this financial need. Here's how you can help. Oh, and by the way, your generosity is going to help them. But that's actually kind of besides the point. Your generosity is actually going to help you more. It's what's best. For, for you. And so here's Paul. He's asking the church of Corinth to be financially generous, and then he gives one of the big reasons why generosity is good for the giver. In verse 8, there's this little phrase. Paul says that their response is going to test the sincerity of their love. And then he goes on to talk about the love of Christ and everything that Christ has done, as if to say no one's ever had to question God's heart. No one's ever doubted the sincerity of God's love for us. Why? Because he gave. He was rich, and yet he became poor. He gave it all, laying down his life for us. And Paul is getting at something here with this church. He's trying to help them see that their response to his appeal for generosity is going to do something. It's actually going to expose their heart. Are they a people who have generous giving hearts or... Are they a people who are more caught up in themselves? You see, there's something you need to know about generosity. Your response to God's invitation to give is a test. It's a test. Now, you students in the room, um, you need to know something about tests. Contrary to popular opinion, tests are actually a good thing. Very good thing. They expose all the areas that you're weak in. They show you what needs, what needs work. If you didn't have tests, you could go through 12 years of school and, and never really learn to read, do math, or do science. You go to write your SAT in your senior year, and you score like a 25 or a 30, 
because you didn't know. But, but you have tests, and when you take a test, you realize, okay, I'm weak in this area over here. I need to learn a little more here, grow a little more here, change a little more here. Imagine if there was no such thing as a driver's test. Now, you might think that you're the most amazing, incredible student driver, when in reality, you're horrible. But if you were actually to get behind a steering wheel, and they just gave you your license, you, you, you might be in a wreck within just a couple of days because you're that bad. You'd be badly hurt. But what does the test expose? It, ex- it, it exposes that there's areas that you need to work on. It tells you that you're not as strong in some areas as you think you are. And so you work on those areas and you get better. And as a result, you and all the other drivers on the road survive another day. God gives a lot of tests in life. He gives a lot of tests. And when it comes to the tests that God gives, he's, he's, he's always only really interested in one thing. He, he wants to expose your heart. He's after your heart. He wants to change and shape and mold your heart. And in the area of generosity, he wants to expose whether your heart is truly generous or is it something else. Does it really trust God? Is it, is it living with this kind of posture or is it more like this? It's hanging on to stuff tightly. Is God really the king of my heart like we sang about or is money and stuff and everything else? It's always about the heart with God. He's not interested in changing behavior as much as he's interested in changing your heart. You can have all the right behavior but have the wrong heart. Jesus was constantly getting after the religious people back in his day about this. He was constantly going after the Pharisees because they looked really good on the outside. They had all the right behavior, yet on the inside, their hearts were far, far, far away from God. And God knows that if we have the right heart, if we have a heart that is caught up in loving him, is caught up in loving others, a heart where he is first, then right living, right behavior will follow. But here's the difficulty for us. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the heart is a deep, deep, deep well. A well full of thoughts, emotions, desires, motives. Just when you think you understand and you know your heart, all of a sudden you find yourself feeling a certain way or acting a certain way that totally contradicts what you thought was going on down in here. For example, you might think, uh, yeah, I trust Jesus with everything that I have. Yes, he's good. Yes, he's faithful, all that stuff. But then some circumstances in life kind of blindsided you, and all of a sudden you find yourself full of fear, full of anxiety, and the last thing on your mind is, man, I sure trust Jesus. The test, the circumstance is exposing that there's some room for growth in your heart. It's tough, though, to figure out what's happening deep down inside your heart. In fact, listen to how God in his word describes the heart. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Figuring out the heart can seem impossible, which sounds hopeless until you read the rest of this verse. God goes on to say this. He says, I, the Lord, though, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds are deserve. God searches. He examines our heart. Even though it's tough for us to figure out what's going on in there, when we open up our heart to Jesus, he comes in, he kind of turns on his searchlight and examines. There's another translation that that takes that, that verse there and it says, rather than he searches the heart, it says he tests the heart. 
Proverbs puts it like this. It says, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord does what? The Lord tests the heart. God is always, always, always going after the heart. He wants to change our hearts. And so when he's shaping a generous heart within us, one of the first things that he goes after is our money. It's one of the first things he goes after. Not our time, not our talent. He goes after our money. And and he knows that where our treasure is, there our heart is going to be also. He knows that our hand grips most tightly to our money. He knows that if you really want to be generous, you really want to be a generous person, it starts with being generous with what God has given to you. You see, money, it doesn't corrupt as much as it reveals. It doesn't corrupt as much as it reveals. And it reveals what's going on down here underneath the surface. It reveals your need for control. It reveals your lack of trust. It reveals your lack of generosity. Or it reveals just the opposite. But money, it reveals. And when it comes to forming a generous heart within us, God has created a test. He's created a test that will expose how we're doing. Now, most of God's tests take place at seemingly random times. They happen when you you don't expect them. But God's generosity test, it happens with regular consistency. It actually happens more consistently than just about any other test that God gives. For me, this test happens every two weeks. For others, this test happens once a month. For farmers and contractors and and, and construction guys, this test happens at varying times throughout the year. You might be catching on. This test for generosity happens every time you get paid. Every time you get paid. And when you get paid, when you get blessed somehow, whether that's from your employer or any other way, when you get blessed financially, what is happening in that moment, got to hear this, God is inviting you to be generous with your paycheck. And he is inviting you to give 10% back to him. It's this thing that we call tithing. And your response to God's invitation is a test. It's a test. And it will expose whether or not you have a generous heart. It will reveal your level of trust. It will speak volumes about who or what is is the king of your heart. And there's a a bunch of verses in the Bible on tithing. And I just want to spend a couple moments here this morning talking about it. Um, One of the key verses is is found in Malachi chapter 3. Where God is speaking to his people and he says this. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. The storehouse in in the Old Testament was the temple. The, The New Testament equivalent is the local church. And God is saying the tithe goes to the, whatever church it is that you call home. He goes on to say, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And it's interesting here how, again, God is, is there's nothing here about need. It's all about, God is, is this is actually about you. I want to, like, throw open the floodgates of heaven 
and bless you so much that there's not going to be room enough to store it. Now, there's some pretty strong language here in this verse. You might be going under a curse. Really? I, I thought that the curse was broken in the cross. Yes, that, that is true. Jesus did break the curse regarding our, 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 the, the weight of sin that was over us. But that doesn't mean that we don't face consequences based on how we live. If you go out and you steal, there's going to be consequences. If you lie, there's a consequence. Live life with your hands right, wrapped tightly around your stuff, robbing God of what's his, there's, there is going to be a consequence. And there's some strong language on what the, that consequence is, but there's also some very strong language on what happens when you go, God, I'm just going to follow you in this. The Bible says that, that there's going to be all this blessing. God wants his people to know that, that it's, it's, he just wants to bless them. And all throughout the Bible, this principle of tithing is taught. Let me just read a few verses. There's this verse in Genesis chapter 14. This is way back in, the, in almost like the very beginning. Uh, the Bible talks about how there was this, this king named Melchizedek. It says this, Then Mel- Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was, the, was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram. Then Abram, Abram, this is before his name changed to Abraham, then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Another place a little later on, God's giving more instructions to, to his people. He says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the, to the Lord. It's like he's saying, this doesn't actually belong to you. Yes, I've entrusted you with it, but it, be, it belongs to me. That's why God comes back later on and says, when you don't give, it's like you're robbing me. This belongs to me. Another place, this, the, the verse that I read earlier on during the worship service, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. He's referring to tithing here, saying, I've been blessed, whether that's with crops or a paycheck or a gift of some sort. I've been blessed, and, and I'm going to honor you, God, with the first fruits of that. I'm going to give you the first, right off the top, 10%. Now, when it comes to tithing, there's a lot of pushback in the church, which when you think about it, is itself exposing. Think about this. With all these verses on, on tithing that you have to argue about whether or not this is something you should be doing, what, what does that expose? All the pushback. What, what, is that, what is that speaking about the heart behind the pushback? Most Christians don't tithe. Um, statistically speaking, um, uh, some give 1% or 3%, but most don't give 10%. In fact, today, this is a, a, a shocking statistic. The amount of giving per capita among Christians in the U.S. is lower today than it was during the Great Depression. Shocking. And, and the number one reason that people have for not tithing is that it's found in the Old Testament. It's, it's, that's for way back there. We're, we're, under the, we're under grace today. We're no longer under the law. And, and this is true, we are under grace, but understand there are principles that were given under the law that, that should be s- still followed under grace. Um, do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, just to, just to name a few. But, but here's a question for you. If Jesus himself said you ought to tithe, would you tithe? And that some of us have to think about our response to that question 
again, is itself exposing. It's exposing something in our heart. When we have to think twice about, if Jesus says I ought to tithe, should I tithe? It reveals something, doesn't it? It reveals what's going on in our heart. But Jesus actually does say you ought to tithe. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is one of those situations where he's just, like I said, he goes, he goes after religious people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. So he's saying, okay, you, you, you guys tithe. I mean, you guys like... Po- you like tithe to the nth degree. You are very religious and legalistic about your tithing. You get out your deal, and then you, like, measure it out. So you, like, cut off a tenth, and then you, you tithe that. And these guys were, like, crazy tithers. But they were missing some stuff. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He, he says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying, you ought to, you should tithe, but don't neglect this other stuff while you're doing it. You need to do both. And I just want you this morning to hear something really, really clearly. I don't preach on tithing because the church needs your help. This church is blessed with a ton of generous, generous, generous people. This, this isn't about the church. This is about you. It is about you. And it's a test. When it comes to tithing, there, there's, there's really two common stories that pastors here, myself included. If, if I could take every conversation I've ever had with somebody about tithing, you could lump them all into these two stories that people have. The number one, or one thing that people say is that, yes, I tithe, and I would never have it any other way. I'm just so blessed when I tithe. There's just this peace. There's this joy. I can't even really quite put my finger on it, but I've been tithing, and I love to tithe. I wish more people would experience the blessing of being generous and giving back to God the tithe. That's one story. The other story goes like this. It's simply, I can't afford to tithe. Those are the two stories. And here's the thing, though, with tithing. You will never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. You just won't. And God wants to bless you. And, and, and hear me, when I say blessing, I don't know what that blessing looks like. Some people preach, give to get. If you give, you're going to get lots of, God's going to bless you financially. You're going to get the Rolls Royce and the mansion and all that. <laughs> Not, we don't do that here. We don't give to get. We get to give. We get to give. But God wants to, he wants to bless you he wants to, to bless you, and he wants you to experience joy and peace and life and, and just the, the joy that comes with having a generous heart. And your response to God's invitation to give, it's a test. And I just got to be honest with you this morning. You know, I, I have been a guy that typically, when it comes to preaching on, on money and tithing, I've been the guy that's kind of like, oh, it's kind of feeling apologetic about it. And because, and, I mean, let's just be honest. When you, my paycheck comes from your generosity. And so I'm always like, it feels like a conflict of interest in some ways. And so I've always been kind of reluctant, apologetic about it, 
fearful, oh, what are people going to think? Are people going to think that the church is all about money? Are people going to think that, that Rich wants a pay raise? Are people going to think that we're just, we, just, we just want them to just give all they have? All these kind of fears and thoughts and all this kind of stuff that's been going through, through my heart. So I've been kind of reluctant. And uh, just this last week, though, God has, been, God has been just like speaking to me about preaching a lot lately. And I had this, this thing happen this week that was just, it was one of these crazy kind of times where God just, where I just know he's speaking to me. I was at this pastor's retreat this week. We took a couple days. Uh, we were, we watched this conference, this church planning conference out of Orlando. We watched it on video. And then we, we went up to Cedar Springs, this uh, resort, uh, or not resort, retreat center over in Sumas. And while we were up there, we were kind of just debriefing. There was me and about six or seven other CTK uh, pastors. And we were just kind of talking about all the stuff that we've been hearing. The theme of this conference has been dream big. And we've got some big dreams. We want to be a healthy sending movement, all this kind of stuff. We want to see just a love in our church where people look at the church and they go, those are my disciples because they love each other. We were talking about all these dreams and all this kind of stuff. And then the, uh, Derek Archer, who's, he's one of the pastors in the network, he's my supervisor, he said, hey, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to just, I want you guys to, to, to kind of go off for an hour, and, and I want you to just ask, uh, or, or I want you to ask Jesus two questions. And one of the questions that, that we were supposed to ask is, what matters most? So what, Jesus, you put me in this role being a leader, you put me in this role being a pastor, what matters most? Like, what do you want, what matters most for me in this, in this, this role? And so, I went for a little stroll. I've been up at Cedar Springs. I, I usually am up there two or three times a year. I get, get up there because it's like a retreat, planning, preaching, praying, all that kind of stuff. And so, I kind of know the place like the back of my hand. But um, I decided this time, I'm going to do something a little bit different. And so, I walked this trail that I'd never been before, and, and it kind of went up the mountain, up to these water towers, and then I thought maybe it might have a little bit of a view at the top. It didn't have any of that kind of stuff. So I walked back down, and I was running out of time, and, and there was this, th- these benches that were kind of set up right beside this really ugly, gross, muddy pond. Now, at Cedar Springs, I like to have, like, flowers and, and beautiful trees and fountains because there's all that kind of stuff up there. But here's this muddy pond that hadn't had any attention in years. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm not running out of time. I'll just sit down here and... and uh, ask these questions, and pray right here. And as soon as I asked the question, God, what, what, is, what matters the most? Just like that. I don't have a lot of times where I just, I know God speaks to me just like that. This was one of those times where it was like, came just like that. He said, let people know just how much of a joy it is when they surrender everything to me, when they, when they live their lives caught up, wrapped up, in me. Let them know. And then it was like he said, hey Rich, see that muddy pond back there? Don't ever preach as if you're leading people to a muddy pond. Preach as if you're leading people to the one who is life, the one who is living water. And all of a sudden these different, I don't know if you're, when God speaks, he can, he can say a lot in like a millisecond. But all these different things came to mind, and one of the things that came to mind, knowing that where, where I was going this weekend was, Rich, don't preach generosity, tithing, as if you're leading people to muddy waters. 
Because what you're doing when you teach tithing, when you teach generosity, when you teach living life with this posture, is you are actually leading people to, to life. You're leading people to, to living life like Jesus. And I think sometimes we're, as preachers, we're guilty of going, uh, we're, we apologize for it. And when we apologize for it, what does that say about the glory of Christ? It says he's, he's, he's a more like the muddy pond than, than living water. And so I want you to hear this morning that, that, that Jesus, when, when he says give, when he says live generously, he wants you to live in such a way that, that he is glorified. He wants you to live in such a way that your life is consumed with, with, with the living water, with who he is. Be a person that gives. And when you do, watch how God blesses. There's only one spot in the Bible where God says, test me. It's in that verse that we just read. God says, test me in this. Give. Give and see what will happen as you live a life of generosity. And as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that we're going to do every week of this series. I'm going to ask if you would just bow your head for a, just, just a moment this morning. And here's what I want you to pray. It's the same prayer I asked you to pray last week. I don't want you to be, this to be about, be between you and me. I want this to be between you and God. And here's the prayer I want you to pray. Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, do a work in my heart in the area of generosity. So take a moment to pray that prayer. Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Heavenly Father, you have been so generous, so generous with us. And Lord, I think that if most of us were honest in the room this morning, God, we would say that, God, we want to be generous, but wow, we sure have a hard time. We have a hard time. God, it's a challenge. All this, there's, we are caught up in a culture that is all about getting, getting, getting more and more and more. A culture that is, that's just caught up with how there's never enough. And, and, and God, we get swept up in that. And then there's, God, this, just this, this, this way of thinking where we think that, God, it's, it's actually going to, it's going to make things worse for us if we give. But God, from your word that we read this morning, God, nothing could be further from the truth. God, you want to open up the floodgates of heaven over our lives. And so, Father, I pray that, Jesus, you would, you would give us the courage. God, give us the, 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 God, just the faith, the trust to be able to give and to give generously. Lord, I know this morning that, God, you have been speaking to hearts God, you've been exposing hearts. And God, I pray that, Lord, this morning, nobody in this room would feel condemnation. God, that's not from you. But God, I would pray that, God, they'd feel conviction. May they feel the conviction of your Holy Spirit, your conviction that's beautiful, that's life-giving, because it leads us back to you. And Father, I pray that, Lord, out of this, God, would just arise a, just a spirit of generosity, a, a, a church that is, that is living life with their hands wide open, saying it all belongs to God. God, how do you want me 
How do you want me to give? Help us in this, I pray in your name. Amen.